the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and who, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. As we get started, I want you to consider something. If uh, 21 years ago, 21 years ago today, we had uh, one of the most tragic events in our nation's history happen uh, as 19 terrorists and four planes and two towers at the World Trade Center, the Pentagon and an open field, left nearly 3,000 people dead. Here's the question. What if you knew on September 10th that that was going to happen? What if you knew the day before that was going to happen with with certainty? There was no doubt in your mind. You knew God gave you a message. This is going to happen tomorrow. Would things have been different? Could things have have changed? I, I hope so. I At least if you you had a loved one who was about ready to get on a plane that was going to be used as a terrorist weapon that you would say, don't get on the plane. Don't don't go there. Don't do that. What if you knew 10 days before? What if you knew 10 years before? Would it be different? And so as we jump into the book of Revelation, God wants us to know something. The book of Revelation is is giving us a warning that that the coming judgment of God is very real and it's on its way. In fact, in these opening words, it says, the time is near. And some of you are like, oh, it's been 2,000 years. How near is that? Super near. In the grand scheme of history... 2,000 years is a blip. It's nothing. It's it's just a snap of the fingers in the grand scheme of eternity. And and the book of Revelation, God is saying that, that there is a coming judgment day. And for all of those who are in Christ, it's going to be an incredible, glorious day. And for all of those who don't know Jesus... It is going to be a day that's going to make September 11th, 2001 look like nothing. It is going to be beyond imagination, terrible day for those who are not in Christ. Welcome to the book of Revelation. <laughs> You're like, wow, that, that's, that's pretty heavy, Dave. 
Yeah, it's really heavy. We're called to live in this tension, the tension of the glorious return of Jesus. And we're like, yeah, it's a glorious return. It's also called the great and terrible day of the Lord. Because all of those who are not in Christ are going to face an eternity separated from him, separated from God forever. And that's something that motivates us in what God has called us to. God has given us the book of Revelation so that we might know him and his glorious justice and mercy and live worshipfully by faith. That we would be a people that, that, that follow him faithfully, that we're motivated by his love for us, but also the fact that he has a coming day where, where Christ will return and, and all of the people of the earth will, will face a judgment. And so... Over the next eight weeks, we're going to cover the majority of the book of Revelation. You're like, hey, how are we going to cover the majority of the book of Revelation in eight weeks? There's a lot going on here. And, and the answer is we're going to look at the forest. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the forest. We're going to take a God story, big picture look. And the goal is over the next eight weeks that you would have a foundation to build upon so that you can read the book of Revelation without fear and intimidation. Now, you may have fear because it's a scary book, but, but without intimidation going, what do I do with this book? I, because that's the question a lot of us face as followers of Jesus. What do I do with this? The rest of, this, the, rest of the Bible kind of makes sense. But when you got to the book of Revelation, you start reading this thing, you're like, wow, I don't know what to do with that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to build a foundation of what do we do with it. So we're going we're gonna to start slow over the next two weeks, and then we are going to hit the throttle. And you're only going to get stuff out of this series if you engage. There's going to be some interesting little tidbits that we're going to go talk about on the weekend, but you're going to read the book for yourself. Novel concept, I know. You're going to read the book for yourself. It's an amazing book. Revelation. So as we jump in, the first thing that we have to do, we got to set the context. And so what we're going to do this weekend, some of you are going to feel like you just went to class because you're going to class. Here we go. This is, there's no way around it, okay? No funny stories, none of that. You're like, darn, Dave, I was looking for the, tell me about the roundabout again. Nope, we're not talking about that. We're going to just jump in and talk about Revelation. We're going to talk about the, the, some basics that we need to understand about this book so that when we read it, we read it properly. We, that we understand what it is that God is saying to us as followers of Jesus. So first and foremost, we're going to define what the book is. And this is what the book is. Revelation is an apocalyptic prophecy in the form of a circular letter. That's what it is. Okay. You can write that. And in fact, if you have a John journal, as you look at page one, if you don't have one, we're going to get more next week here on Harrison Lane. We ran out. I don't know about our other campuses. You may have them. We'll have more next week if you, if you want one. Just keep your little notes page there from the back, and you can plug it in the back. In fact, we even have a glossary that you can cut out and tape in the back of your Revelation journal. But, but there's an error on the first page, and it says, the Revelation to John. Now, what did we just read? We just read that this is something different than that. This isn't the revelation to John. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing you can do is go to page one on your John journal, and you can write in, cross out to John, and write the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is. It's the revelation of Jesus and it's not even to John, it's through John. It's actually one of the books of the Bible that's written to the church. 
And we're going to talk about that as we go along. And so we're going to start by looking at a map. And, and John says that he's writing, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. So this is a circular letter. And here's what we mean by a circular letter. John's writing from the island of Patmos, which is a, a prison island. And a tradition says that this John is the Apostle John. And the Apostle John is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. And so we, we're just going to go with tradition and say, okay, that's, that's who the author is. Not John the Baptist. That's a different John. This is John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John and, and now this letter to the seven churches of Revelation. And what you'll notice here is there's the island nation of Patmos. And then the first city that you encounter is the city of Ephesus. And that's in two weeks. We're going to look at the seven churches. And that's the first church that gets addressed in this letter. And then from there, the rest of the churches that get addressed, it's actually in geographical order. So if you've heard something else uh, before about the way that the, the order then, it's simply geographical because as somebody would go, read this, a circular letter is you first go to Ephesus, read it there, and then you go to Smyrna, you read it there, and then you just keep on your way from the next one. So the church would gather, the 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 deliverer of the message would come and blessed is who who the one who reads aloud to the church and then the the people in the church who hear and respond they're going to experience God's blessing so we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks it's just really important for us as we set the ground as talking about the seven churches that we're like oh wow there's there's a rhyme and reason to stuff that's in this letter. It's super cool. So as we jump in, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about some definitions. And the first thing that, that I need you to write down is this. Symbols are meant to be symbolic. There's no slide on this one. Symbols are meant to be symbolic. And you'd be like, well, that's an obvious statement. Symbols are meant to be symbolic. This is a really important concept that we would buy into as we study the book of Revelation because symbols are meant to be symbolic. And as we read some of the descriptions, when you read that it is like something, that doesn't mean that there's going to be something that's going to be that. There's now a symbol that represents something. Also, as we talk about symbols, every generation has connected the symbols that are in Revelation to something that is in their society culturally. You know, like, oh, hey, this represents the USSR back in the 70s or the 80s. This is, this is, this is the USSR. That's what that means. Well, then that all falls apart and it goes back to being Russian. And you're know, like, oh, that's not what we meant. It, it really meant something else. And we're like, whoa. Every generation has connected the symbols that are in the book of Revelation to things that are going on in their culture. And rightly so, because they could be. And that leads to a question. Are we living in the end times? This is a popular question. Are these the end times? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Yeah. <laughs> these are the end times. Every day since the ascension of Christ for the last 2,000 years has been the end times. And if, and if Jesus doesn't come back for another 2,000 years, it continues to be the end times. These are the end times, always. And so if somebody comes and says like, hey, the time is short. We got to tell people about Jesus. The end times, these are the end times. Instead of saying, hey, you're a wackadoo, calm down. You're like, yep, it's right. It motivates us. That's true. It is the end times. 
Now, if they're saying it's the end times and Jesus is coming back tomorrow, they're not even wrong about that because there's a motivation in this book to live like Jesus is coming back now. Not even tomorrow. There's motivation for us to live like Jesus is coming back right now. And so as we jump into these these definitions, these are just foundational as we go along. Some, some common understanding that we would have. While we use the same word, we need to make sure that we're using the same meaning. And some of the meanings in the book of Revelation are used even different than, than what some of the intent is other places in the New Testament. So in the book of Revelation, we, we want to first of all talk about what is that word revelation. It's used exactly one time in the book, and it's the very first word of the book. It's the reason that the book is, enti- is titled Revelation. Singular, revelation, not revelations. Revelation, it's the apocalypse, same word. That's the exact same word. Revelation, apocalypse, same word. And it simply means to reveal, unveil, uncover, or disclose. A literal translation of the first three words of the original text, even though we're going to translate in four words, it's uncovering of Jesus Christ. The unveiling, could say that. Unveiling of Jesus Christ. God is pulling back the veil and revealing what's going to happen in the final days of history. Now, when it comes to this word apocalypse, there's a special kind of literature called apocalyptic literature, and we don't know what to do with that because there's nothing like it in the culture in which we live. We have like science fiction, but the key word of science fiction is fiction, We have fantasy. The key word of fantasy is fiction. The difference with with apocalyptic literature is it's an unveiling of the future. And and in particular, for apocalyptic, it's, it's how history is going to culminate. The next word that's important that we have a common understanding, we'll hit this one real quick, is the word angel. Every time you see that word angel, remind yourself that it's a messenger. A messenger. The word means messenger. When, when uh, the tra- Bible translators talk about messengers from God, they talk about angels. When they talk about messengers from Satan, they call them messengers. Same word. Um, they don't say, and there was an angel of Satan, although that is a totally valid translation. Another word for an angel of Satan is a demon. So messengers from Satan, we call demons. Messengers from God, we call angels. That's all that word means. It's a messenger. Jesus sends a messenger to John. And that leads us to the next word, which is prophecy. When we're talking about prophecy in the book of Revelation, we're talking about inspired statements from a Christian prophet. Okay, this is a big deal. Some of you who, who ha, uh, know the idea of New Testament prophecy and how it's different than Old Testament prophecy, in particular the way that Paul talks about New Testament prophecy when he encourages the churches that they would prophesy to one another, what, what he's talking about there is as God would give you some kind of spontaneous thought or message that you would then share that with other people in the church in order to encourage them and build them up. That is not what we're talking about here. John, when he talks about prophecy, he's talking about it in an Old Testament sense. 
He's equating himself in the same way that an Old Testament prophet prophet was a, a, a mouthpiece from God. John is saying this message is from God himself. And then we're going to cover that, like he's going to cover it seven times and talk about this prophecy. So it's important that when we get that, we're not thinking, oh, this is just a, 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 the same way that Paul's talking about people prophesying to one another in the, lo- in the local church. No, he's saying, I am the same. This letter is the same as all those Old Testament prophets. And if you want to know the book of Revelation, I'm going to give you the golden key. If you want to unlock this thing and you want to know, I want to know, man, I want to study the book of Revelation. Close the book of Revelation and go study the Old Testament. That's where you got to begin. If you want to know the book of Revelation inside and out, I'm not talking about it in a big picture kind of way as we go through the series. You don't have to learn the Old Testament in the next eight weeks. But if you want to really, really know that you know that you know, dig in and study the Old Testament because this book is built upon the Old Testament like no other book in the New Testament. We're going to talk about that in a second. The next word that's important that we would know is the word blessed. Talk about often hashtag blessed and how we absolutely abuse that thanks to Instagram. Yeah, my life is wonderful. I'm so blessed. It's nothing to do with God's blessing. Good stuff happening in your world has nothing to do with God's blessing. Some of you are like, what? Yes. It's talking about, we, and we talked about the whole beginning of this year, we talked about the book of Genesis and that God created us to be a blessed people. And how do we experience the blessing of God? We were all born what? What were we all born? We were born children of God and everybody said, no. We were not born children of God. That is a lie. We were born, Paul says, children of wrath. What? The world tells me we're all children of God. That is not true. That is a statement to disarm you and say, oh, well, everything is going to end up hucky-dory in the end. No, it's not. Revelation is clear. It is not going to end up all hunky-dory in the end. For all of those who become children of God, how do we become children of God? We become adopted into God's family through new life in Christ, and we go from being children of wrath to becoming children of God. That is our story. For all of those who have new life in Christ, we've become children of God by putting our faith in Jesus. And we've gone from being enemies of God to becoming friends of God. And now we are experiencing God's blessing. We're experiencing the presence of God. The word we talked about was shalom, that that there's not a good English translation of that word, a Hebrew word that talks about peace, prosperity, that we're, we're living in harmony with the God who made us to live in relationship with himself. We're, we're finally experiencing God the way that he created us to experience him, not someday in a place called heaven, but today as we walk on this earth, we walk with Jesus experiencing the blessing of God. That's what this book is about, that we would experience the blessing. And there's seven, right? It's, it's the, the privileged recipient of God's favor. What is God's favor? That we would be like this with God. Seven proclamations of blessing throughout this book. The next one talks about the word seven. It represents that which is perfect, complete, or full. When we read seven, 
that which is perfect, complete, or full. And the next one, it gets some debate, but for our series, all right, and for this weekend, I don't have time to build the whole case for it. I just have time to make it as a statement. Seven spirits equals the Holy Spirit. So as we read here in Revelation, talking about the seven spirits who are before the throne, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the complete Holy Spirit of God. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit, God's Spirit, Holy Spirit. Uh, He uses those all interchangeably because they're interchangeable. We're talking about the complete Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. As we jump in from beginning to end, this, is, this story is about God's people experiencing God's blessing. So for us as followers of Jesus, as we jump in the book of Revelation, here's the reminder. As you walk through this book, remind yourself of this over and over. God wants me to experience his blessing. That's the thing. As you look at this and you jump into the book of Revelation, God wants me as a follower of Jesus, if you know Christ, God wants me to experience his blessing. And if you don't know Christ, if you haven't given your life to following Jesus, he wants you to experience his blessing, which is what? To live at peace and harmony with him, to, to, to be a, a, a changed person, not because you're, you're a good person, but because you're now new, alive in Christ. You have a whole new life because you've given your life to following Christ as a follower of Jesus. And this book is written to followers of Jesus. Really important that we would know that this book is written to followers of Jesus, to motivate us, to encourage us that this book is all about experiencing God's blessing through what? Through new life in Christ. At the opening of this letter, authorship is established. And there's a chain in Revelation. It goes from God to Jesus to the messenger, the angel, to John, to the servants of Jesus. Now, translators, Bible translators, they face a problem when it comes to this word servants and the servants of Jesus because the A better translation is slave, but that's not a good word in our culture. We don't talk about slaves because of the the fact that that word is connected to the African slave trade in America, a very dark period in our history when when people would, would sell people and then people would own people. And it's something we can't talk about because it was a very dark time. But we have to remind ourselves when it comes to these words that there's no difference. It just sounds a little bit better to talk about a servant. Servant sounds better than slave, but it's the same word. And it's important that we would know this is written to those who have been bought and paid for by Jesus. How? It's clear here, by, by his blood. This is written to those who've been purchased by Jesus, and you're like, well, I, I, I like the fact that Jesus covers my sin, but, but I don't know that I like the fact that I've been bought and paid for by Jesus. I don't like the fact that Jesus owns me because slavery is bad, but slavery is terrible when a human owns a human, but when God owns us, it's what we were made for. We were made to be connected to him. We, we were made to live that life. And we're reminded in this story that, that this revelation is, is 
of, from, and about Jesus. It's God's story, and Jesus is the star. I know we say that all the time, but we really got to buy in. This is God's story. This isn't even the revelation to John. It's the revelation of Jesus. This book is about Jesus. And it's important that we buy into that. And we'll get lost in the weeds of trying to figure out timelines and when and when. And, hey, when's the end of the world? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's, it's going to happen on December 5th, 2035, okay? That's when the world's going to end. Who knows? Nobody knows that. That's not the point of this book. The whole point is that, that Jesus is coming back and that we as followers of Jesus would live in that kind of way. Now, I can't say this better, so I want to read to you a little snippet from an author. He's also a professor, former pastor, Danny Aiken. He writes, in 404 verses with 285 Old Testament citations and as many as 550 Old Testament allusions. So with 285 Old Testament citations and 550 Old Testament Illusions. You see why I say this is the golden key to understanding the book of Revelation is study the Old Testament. Know that thing inside and out. In that, we discover not a closed book, but an open book, one to be read and not rejected. Daniel 12, 4 says, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. But Revelation twenty two ten 10 says, don't seal the prophetic words of this book because the time is near. Revelation is to be explored, examined, embraced, for in it we discover a marvelous message whose theme is the theme of the Bible, the greatness and the glory of Jesus. From 1-1 to 22-21, the apocalypse is from Jesus and about Jesus. As he is the focus of the Bible, so he is the focus of this book. This book is all about him. As we begin, um, we see that the book of Revelation begins and ends with, with a blessing. And hearing God's word leads to God's blessing. Now, this is where we have to connect series to series, not hold them in isolation. I, I was talking to Mark this week. I'm, I'm just amazed at the way God has lined stuff up. And I'm like, wow, who saw that coming? Who knew that like, that was going to happen? And then and he's like, you're an idiot. God knew. I'm like, yeah, I'm an idiot. I get reminded of that all the time. So here we are. We need to hold into tension. Every time that we're like hearing God's word, we have to go back to the last series and remind ourselves. And, and now into infinity, we need to remember there's no difference between hearing and doing. To hear means what? To do. To hear means what? To do. Hear means what? To do. That's what it means. So to hear is to do. We have to remind ourselves of that over and over. The one who responds, the one who lives differently in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, that is the person who's going to experience the blessing that's being talked about here in the book of Revelation. God intends to bless, comfort, and encourage his people in every generation to be faithful and persevere, especially in times of persecution and suffering. In particular, here in the book of Revelation, there was, there was persecution that was going on. And these seven churches were facing persecution. And in the midst of that, God gave them an unveiling to, to, to remind them that in the wind, there's going to, in the end, there's going to be a glorious victory. That in the end, that God is going to conquer, even though it doesn't seem like it right now. And so for us, we, we need to be reminded that, that 
uh, for us in the midst of our persecution and suffering. Now, with that, many of you are going to go like, I'm not persecuted the way that people in other countries who get imp um, uh, imprisoned for their faith. I'm not persecuted like that. Or I'm not really suffering, not the way that I see people maybe in the New Testament suffered. I I've not had to, you know, I've not been beaten because I love Jesus. And, and I want to encourage you not to like, equate your situation with those situations, but, but to, to embrace the, the encouragement that's intended with whatever it is that you're facing. Some of you, I, I know some of you have been rejected by family members because of your faith. Some of you, I know, I know right now are, are facing um, at work. There's, there's coworkers who, who think you're, like, your opinion doesn't matter because you believe these, these things in the Bible. Or maybe you even have to hide it because you're in the science community and you can't be scientific and believe in the Bible, even though every great scientist in history believed in the Bible. So out of that, don't try and go, well, my suffering isn't as bad as that suffering, so does it count as suffering? It all counts, all right? It all counts. And the goal isn't that you would find yourself mired in your suffering and feeling bad about you. It's like, oh, no, the suffering is temporary, but Jesus' glory is forever, and he's coming back, so let's live like it today. Let's tell people about Jesus. He's coming back. And they were also reminded that, that it's my response What's my response? It's faithful obedience resulting in God's blessing. The person who hears, who does what God says, experiences God's blessing, the nearness of God. And so here's the reminder for us. As we look at Revelation 1, 4 through 6, here's what we're reminded. This is incredibly good news. This is incredibly good news. If, if we were going to break this down and do this series and we we're going to do it in smaller chunks, um, there's one thing I wouldn't do. I looked at a lot of ways different people have done series as we were preparing for this series. And man, there is a ton of series out there on the seven churches of Revelation. Go find one of those, all right? I would not do a series on the seven churches of Revelation because as we're gonna talk about in two weeks, that's all missing the point. But I would have done an eight-week series in the first eight weeks of the book of Revelation because this is an incredibly powerful theological statement. We're reminded of an incredible amount of truth in these opening eight verses. God sets the stage for us. He reminds us of some incredible truth. What is it that we're supposed to remember? That Jesus is the firstborn of who? It says of the dead. It means he's the first resurrected one. Jesus is the first resurrected one and we too are someday going to be resurrected. Jesus is the king of the world. Jesus, Jesus really is ruling, and he's, he's over all the kings. This week, we were reminded about um, the, the reality that there are still kings and queens in the world today, and he's still over those. But what it's talking about is all the rulers. Jesus is over all the rulers of the world, and Jesus is our king. We've become citizens of God's kingdom as we've submitted our lives under the authority of King Jesus. Now, in our culture, this is considered a negative because we like to vote. Don't give me no king. I don't want a king. I want to vote. I want to. How's that working for you? It's bad. I'd rather be a citizen of God's kingdom. 
As we submit our lives to Christ, we, we, we have a king. His name is Jesus, and he's going to rule and reign forever. And in the next few years, it's going to be crazy, and people are going to do stupid stuff and say stupid stuff. Ah, Jesus is coming back. And so we, we, if anybody, are to live like that. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He's our king, and we're part of his kingdom. And that means I'm going to go political here for just one second. I didn't really already. Here's the thing. When it comes to with what our passport says, we need, to, we need to remind ourselves that first and primary thing on our passport is what? Citizen of the kingdom of God. That is our primary citizenship. And no matter what else our passport says, it's like this. Citizen of the kingdom of God and somewhere else. The somewhere else is insignificant. And if you're offended by that, do business with the Holy Spirit. I'm not even joking. Do business with the Holy Spirit. I believe he will show you that your stuff is out of order, that he's calling you to say, oh, yeah, elevate my kingdom. I'm not minimizing the place that you were born to do that. Elevate what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God because you'll live differently. Elevate that view. doesn't minimize where you're born. And we're reminded that Jesus loves us. Be reminded he loves us. Like, how do you know? Because he purchased you with his blood to free you from sin. If you have new life in Christ, there's a reason why the terrible coming of Jesus is viewed as glorious. Because all of those who have new life in Christ are not going to face judgment, are not going to face having to make a payment for sin. That, that all of those who have life in Christ, that is bought, paid for, done. But for those who don't, here's what we hold in tension. For those who don't, it is going to be a terrible day. And so we live in this place of on one side going, Lord Jesus, come back, do it today. It would be amazing, come back today. But then on the other side, we're like, well, I know all these people who don't know Jesus, so hold off. Don't come yet because there's people who I love who don't know you yet or maybe just people even that I know who don't love you yet. And we live in the midst of that tension. We are now citizens of the kingdom of God and we're now, it says, we're priests, we're intermediaries between God and the people who don't know God. That's our role. It's to show people who God is. If these words scare you, you get the point because when it says, behold, he's coming with the clouds. Yeah. And every eye will see him. Yeah. Even those who pierced him. What? And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Man, we were talking about this in sermon meeting. This got really heavy, really fast because we're like, this is talking about the coming judgment on everybody who isn't in Christ. And they will, they will wail. They will cry out. Even so, it says truly. Even so, truly let that happen. That's a, that's a heavy statement. Everyone who has new life in Christ lives with him forever. Everyone who doesn't will be separated from God forever. Even so, let these words happen. At the closing of this profound and powerful introduction, we're left with this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. If you want to memorize something this week, memorize that. If you want to walk away from the first verses of Revelation, remind yourself that this is all about God. And, and, and twice now in this introduction, there's an allusion to God's covenant name. We've talked about that in the last series. God's covenant name is Yahweh, the God who 
was, is, and will be. Here's referred to as the God who was and is to come. Who is and was and is to come. It's important that we start connecting the dots. Revelation is about Jesus' glory, greatness, and final victory. That's what it's about. That's where we're going. That's what this whole series is going to be about. It's going to take us on an incredibly creative journey. It's going to take us on an emotional roller coaster. It's supposed to. The thing about apocalyptic literature is it uses these creative expressions saying, oh, things like, and they're scary images. They're like, wow, I can't really wrap my mind around that. And it it's, it's looks terrifying at some point and really encouraging at other points. And so it's like going on a roller coaster because it's supposed to be an emotional journey that draws us in and encourages us in tough times to remain what? Faithful to Jesus, living like he's coming back, not tomorrow like he's coming back today. That's the encouragement along the way. So the question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with it? Okay, so this is one of those series. Every series is like this, but really, 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 you can either jump in and allow it to, to change who you are. You can be like, okay, I see if I can pick up some information along the way. Uh, I'll see what that looks like. And so as we're talking about next steps this week, I forgot to put one in your next steps. And one of the next steps can be coming up on Wednesday night. When we're talking about all in prayer, what we're talking about is the very vision that God has given us, that we would pray it into reality, that, that we would join together, that we would seek him together, that we would pray together. And so that's a next step this week to put into motion. I'm going to join together with the people of God that, that I'm in relationship with, and I'm going to seek him with other people that we would see that, that vision become reality. And, and over the past couple of weeks, I'm like, if we wanted to just pick one book to motivate the vision that God has given us to see the region in which we live transformed by the, the life-transforming presence of Jesus himself. If, if we're going to pick one book and say, this is the motivation, this is the book. This is the book. You want to get motivated? This is the book. And so I I had no idea when, and like last fall, when it was like, hey, okay, well, let's start the year in Genesis and let's end the book with Revelation. I, I was not, I've done a lot of work to get up to speed on this book because I was just like the rest of y'all, like, oh, well, you know, Jesus wins. Let's move on to the other stuff. <laughs> it's better than that. So engage in the live it out. We're going to take you on a journey through that. Um, and then the final one is this, okay? To start each day beginning right now with this question, ask Jesus, what changes if I live like you're returning today? That's what we're gonna do right now. All of our venues, we're gonna do that right now. We're gonna give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak into our lives, Jesus himself, through the power of the Spirit within us to respond to us, that we would ask him a question and say, what changes if I live like you're returning today? So what we're gonna do, we're gonna take a minute. I'm gonna ask you to use your journal, use your Bible, use your, your handout. And if you have a thought that crosses your mind or you maybe see an image or you have a feeling, an impression, you would write it down, write it down. Capture it in the moment and then pray into it as you go into this week. Ask Jesus right now, what changes if I live like you're returning today? And we're gonna give you a minute for the, the spirit to respond right now.
one of the things that does change is how we respond in worship. And, and, and worship, not equating worship with music, although we're going to do that here in a second, but how we respond in our lives, how we respond in, in including God in every area of life. And so as you walk into this week, open your, your eyes to see that worship is bigger than this song that we're going to sing in all of our venues right now, but we're going to sing a song in all of our venues right now. So I'm going to invite you to stand wherever you are. And I want to remind you that, okay, what if, what if Jesus came back into, in one minute, like in one minute from now, in the midst of this song, what's it look like for us to go, okay, I want to be singing like Jesus is coming back in the next minute. I also want to acknowledge you really can't live every minute of your life like Jesus is coming back in that minute or a minute from now because that would be exhausting. But there are times where you can capture it and you can hold on to it. And so for the next, whatever it is, four or five minutes, this is one of those times where you can be like, okay, what if Jesus were to come back in the midst of this song right now? You don't want to be the kid who's asleep in the back of class. When Jesus comes back, be like, oh, you were sleeping. No, we want to be the ones pouring out our hearts. So Lord Jesus, through the power of your spirit in us, would you help us to worship right now?